thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Open your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 18, and I draw your attention there to verse 15 where we left off. As Jesus is there in the garden, they've come to arrest him and take him away. And in verse 15, it says, John 18, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, verse 17, who kept the door, said to Peter, You are not also one of those men's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coal stood there. And it was cold. And they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Nobody ever really thinks they're going to backslide. Nobody plans for it. It's not on your calendar that on a certain day you're going to make a decision to turn and walk away from the Lord, to not be as passionate anymore, to not care, to not read your Bible anymore, to not pray, to not be in church, to not raise your kids. And nobody plans for that. It's a lot like marriage. I've had the privilege of officiating many marriages here and to be a part of much premarital counseling. And never... And I do mean that in the absolute sense. Never have I met a couple so excited for their wedding day, so excited to to have that day of vows and to spend their whole life together. Never have I met a couple that said, you know, I think it'll work about six months and then I'm divorcing her. Never. Nobody plans for divorce. It's so difficult and so hard and neither should we. It's not God's heart for us to backslide. It's not God's heart for us to divorce. It's so painful and so difficult, as many of you know. When it comes to following Jesus, we all want to grow. We want to grow in our love relationship. We want to grow in our service. We we want to do more, not less, because following Jesus is so exciting and it's so wonderful. And almost always there's that attitude of, let's grow and let's go and let's do this for the Lord. Even facing setbacks, and even facing spiritual warfare, and even with feelings of wanting to quit, we're like, no way. We're going to make it. We're going to endure. We're going to see what God has promised when he said that that which he's begun in us, he's faithful to complete it. And yet life is not always like that. Life's not always let's grow and let's go. We all have seasons of difficulty and resistance. And some of us, unfortunately, backslide. Now, some of you might be asking, what is backsliding? Because there are some within the church today that say that backsliding doesn't exist and it it doesn't happen. And yet the Bible uses the word at least 20 times in the Old Testament. And the principle of backsliding is all throughout the New Testament. For example, if you want to jot it down in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14, the Bible says... The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 22. Return you backslidden children, and I will heal your backslidings. Indeed, we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. 
Psalm 44, verse 17. All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you, nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed. It's the same Hebrew word from your way. The Hebrew word for backsliding literally means to turn away or to turn back. And the English word is very fitting. It means to slide backwards from your relationship with Jesus Christ. We find a great description of this in the New Testament from the author to the Hebrews. Jot it down in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Be careful of departing. Be careful of sliding away. Watch out and exhort one another. You see, a believer in Jesus Christ is one that has been born again. A believer, another way of describing the Bible, describes it as a follower or as a disciple. Someone that's following Jesus has experienced new spiritual life. Only God himself can give you and me spiritual life. Jesus described it as being born again, literally. While you're in the same shell and you have the same looks and the same body and the same house and the same car, when you are born again, God changes you on the inside And over time, he changes you on the outside. Salvation, you could say, is an inside job. And God alone can give you new life. Part of salvation just simply can't be explained. There there is a mystery to it. It's like the wind. We see the effects of the wind, but it can be very difficult to grasp the wind and, and really understand its full dynamics unless you spend your whole life studying such things, weather patterns and such. Well, salvation is very similar, where you see a person that was going in one direction, and then the very next day, that person's going in, an, in the exact opposite direction, and the only thing that they can attribute that to is that they believed what Jesus Christ said and committed their life to him. And out of that transaction, God gives them new life. But there's part of it that we can't explain, and I think Jesus puts it well when he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, listen, Jesus says, come to me, all, and that means all. Everyone has the opportunity to come to Jesus, especially those that labor and are heavy laden. And Jesus promises, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What a beautiful description of salvation. Rest for your souls because the greatest issue with man today is soul sickness your soul who you are that will outlast this body soul sickness that's been touched by sin willful acts against a holy and righteous god Not only were we born in sin, we commit sin, so we're doubly guilty. And God has sent Jesus into this world to deal with our soul sickness. You know how it is when you get the flu. Man, I'm the biggest baby when I get sick. That's just the way it is. I'm the biggest baby, and I wish Marie would do what my mom did. She refuses to do it. But my mom gave me a bell. (laughs) 
And it's, <laughs> I don't know why Marie won't do that. Somebody needs to email the woman and say, give the man a bell. <laughs> but I'm telling you, when I'm sick, I'm thinking of one thing and one thing only. I want to get well. I hate being sick. I hate the flu. I don't want to feel so bad. I, I wish I could just ring a bell and be done. But listen, the soul sickness, in a very real way, you can ring the bell of faith and be done. God is ready to forgive you today. And those of you that have experienced salvation, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a glorious relationship. The Christian life is one of progression. It's one of making progress. The Bible describes the Christian life as a walk and sometimes as a run. And that always implies forward motion, progression, and spiritual growth. Just like a, a baby, just, just like a baby, we expect that baby to grow at certain stages in their life. We, we, are, we are so blessed. Last week, we were so blessed. We had baby dedication at every service. Beautiful, wonderful, glorious families. What a, what a joy to be able to come alongside families and say, Let's raise, we're going to be with you to raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. And you see how it was at, at, at last service. They, they handed me that precious little baby with the deep blue eyes. And I got to hold that baby. And she was right there on me. And we prayed for her. And I could hold that baby as long as I could. And be able to practice those skills that God has given me to love children. It's awesome. It's wonderful. And, and I handed them back to the parents. And we expect that baby to grow and to grow in grace. But you haven't seen me, have you? Have a family bring a 16-year-old and then say that 16-year-old, okay, jump into my arms. And do a baby dedication with a 16-year-old. You okay? You know, it's like, no, that's weird. Because at 16, we expect a 16-year-old to decide for herself to follow Jesus Christ. Not a baby. A baby doesn't understand yet. So we pray for that baby by faith in the future. But, but as that baby grows to 16, it's not a baby dedication anymore. It's today's a day of salvation and we explain the gospel to that 16-year-old and I'm not going to hold a six, don't, don't even try it. I'm not going to hold a 16-year-old in my arms and dedicate a, a teenage, you know, have a teenage dedication service because when a teenager grows up, I mean, when a baby grows up, to, we expect things different. We expect that progress. We, we don't want a 16-year-old to come up here and, and say, would you please dedicate him because they still act like a baby. And you've got to knock the bottle out of their hands and get rid of the pacifier. No, that, that's not what we expect from children. We expect them to grow. Same thing with the Christian life. There's an expectation that we grow and make progress and go forward. And that means, as a believer, you're either moving forward or you're moving backward. You're either gaining ground or you're losing ground. There are only two options here. Forward or backward? You go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I'm not moving forward or backward. I'm just kind of standing still. Well, by this definition of the Bible, standing still is going backwards. There's always a progression in the Christian's life, even if it's small and seemingly insignificant. There's always a progress. Standing still, the Bible calls stagnation. It calls lukewarmness standing still. If you're not moving forward, you're potentially backsliding. And so the question today is, are you moving forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, you might get upset and say, wait a minute, Ed. Wait, Pastor. Hold on a second. You can't say that I'm backsliding because I'm a Christian and I go to church when I feel like it. 
And I read my Bible sometimes. And I still obey God unless I don't like it. And there's a constant battle in our lives for forward progress. Here's the problem with backsliding, even in its smallest forms. The problem is, is that you're not where you once were. You've regressed. Your life has slid backwards. You're slipping away. And that's why we need to take practical precautions. Anyone, anyone can fall away from the Lord. Anyone can take steps away from the Lord. Anyone can go back and live a life that's inconsistent with their born-again life and thus backslide. I don't care how long they've been a Christian, how long they've been in a church, how much of the Bible they've memorized, how much God has used them, how much that God has, has, you've seen in their lives so much great fruit. Anyone, you can write this down in your notes, you can write it down. Anyone can backslide. You can even say this, I can backslide. And I don't mind if you put Pastor Ed in there because that's true, I can backslide, but it's really, so can you. Any of us can Anyone could fall away, and the moment that we begin to doubt is the moment that we're taking a step toward doing it. So today, in our remaining time, I want to teach you how not to backslide. And by teaching you how not to backslide, we're going to look at someone that did. I want to show you what to watch out for in your life. And we're going to learn from the famous backsliding of Peter. Now, we've already looked at a synopsis in John 18. Would you turn with me to Luke's gospel, which is to the left from John, chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I want to give you six things, you note takers, six things that we see in Peter's life that we want to watch out for in ours. And if anyone can backslide, and they can, then everyone needs to hear this message and receive this warning and be prepared to walk forward and strongly with the Lord. Notice verse 31, Luke 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, and we already learned from John that his name was Simon Peter. So he says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Let's just pause there for a second and soak that in. Jesus having a conversation with Peter, looks him right in the eye and says something like this. Peter, the devil has asked for you. I mean, can you imagine what that sounded like? The devil comes to to Jesus and says, give me the fishermen. I want the fishermen. I want Peter. And I want Peter because I want to sift him like wheat. Now, when we think of sifting, we think of baking cookies and cakes and getting that little thing out and putting the flour in and shaking that thing, whatever, I guess you call it a sifter, whatever it is, and you're shaking that thing, and maybe you got one that you have a and it's kind of through and it's all nice. That, that's, not, that's not what is being displayed here, making a cake kind of sifting. The idea of sifting wheat was to lay out the harvested wheat on a threshing floor and to put it out on on a blanket, uh, on a cloth, and they would take uh, sticks and they would beat it and beat it and beat it. And then they'd lift that up and they'd shake it in the air and the chaff would flow on and they'd put it down and they'd beat it some more to separate the wheat from the chaff, the, the very kernel from the husk. And it was a violent, painful, if you were the wheat, you would not like it. 
to be beaten so bad for the purposes you, you probably would think, as sometimes you do in spiritual trials and battles, knowing that God's working and knowing there's sifting and knowing there's, you, you, you might think if you were the wheat, you just think, isn't there an easier way to do this that doesn't cost so much pain? And you're, <clears throat> you're looking at Jesus in the eyes and he says, the devil's asked for you. He's asked for you. And notice the answer, or the, as Jesus continues, he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And you say, wait a minute, Jesus, why didn't you just say no? He asked for me and you didn't tell him no? Thanks for praying for me. Thanks for praying for me. But why didn't you tell him no? He says, I pray that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, you know what Jesus is saying here? Peter, you're going to backslide. You're going to get through it. And when you're done and you come back, strengthen your brother. He doesn't understand this. He doesn't know it. We get to read it from the perspective of knowing what happened, but Peter doesn't understand. But there's words of hope here. I mean, personally, I like the words of hope. I don't want to be sifted. Thank you very much, Jesus. Just say no. Just call him back and say no. You can't have the fishermen. But that's not real life. And here's Peter being, he's, he's being told and prophesied, really, you're going to backslide, Peter. Peter, one of the disciples, is going to walk away. Peter answers, it says, in verse 33, he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I'll tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Or in Matthew 26, Matthew says, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Such passion, such commitment, such loyalty in Peter. Attributes that we've studied in previous studies. You should get the study from, uh, you know, from last week or from the previous weeks that we built this through the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, they're up on the website. Follow along with us verse by verse. Let the Holy Spirit really show you that these attributes are wonderful. We want to be filled with passion. We want to be filled with commitment. We want to be filled with loyalty. Th- these are key ingredients for a healthy relationship. And yet, there's something about this that we can't miss. And here's number one of one of the mistakes that Peter makes. Peter is self-confident when he should be selfless. Peter is self-confident when he should be selfless. Jesus just revealed Judas would betray him. Peter responds with a boast of his commitment. A boast of his commitment. Even comparing himself to the others saying that he is better than the others. Even if everyone denies you, I won't deny you, Peter says. And at first, I mean, it sounds great. It sounds wonderful. But in reality, it shows a self-confidence that will yield to his falling away temporarily. And let me just say, having served people for many, many years, I'm always concerned. It always concerns me when I see or hear anyone that makes themselves look better by putting someone else down. That is not from the Lord. That does not reflect the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Putting themselves up by making sure they put someone else down. That's not from the Lord. And we see that in Peter's life. 
Peter's boasting of his commitment, boasting of his dedication, selfishly. This is what it comes down to. Sometimes the areas that you fall in are the areas where you think you're the strongest. Because that makes sense, doesn't it? You see an area that you know is weak, and you'll put up a guard there. I mean, you'll set things up, and I need accountability partners. I need somebody to call me. I'm going to stay away from that. Not going to watch that anymore. Not going to travel. Going to change my... Yes, of course, of course. You see a weakness. You're like, no way. No more. Never again. And you place a strength there and a guard, and you build a wall to protect yourself. Yes. But the areas that we think we're strong in get ignored. And it's in that ignoring period that we're attacked in something that we thought we were so strong in. Things, places where you think you're strong, you lower your guard. Places where you're weak, you build it up. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. I may watch out in an area of vulnerability, but lower my guard in the area where I think I'm strong, and that might be the place that I fall in. So be careful. He's self-confident. Number two. We know in the garden that Peter was sleeping when he should have been watching. Peter was sleeping when he should have been watching. In Gethsemane, Jesus asked Peter, James, he left eight at the gate, and he took Peter, James, and John into the garden to watch and pray while he submitted to the Father. And what was their response? They slept. And they slept hard, deep sleep because they were tired. And they weren't watching. And when we stop watching... When we stop praying, we are the most vulnerable to bad decisions in our lives. When we are to set ourselves to watch, you know, one of the greatest weaknesses of the church at large today is that the church has fallen asleep in a culture that's lulled them to sleep, lulled us to sleep. Like Nehemiah, we need to cry out on our prayers, Lord, forgive us for becoming cultural Christians, for going through the motions, for not taking our walk with the Lord serious, for not loving our neighbor as Christ loved ourselves, for not living in community and caring about one another. Lord, forgive us, because it's not the church, it's us. And the Bible says over and over again, wake up. Wake up out of your sleep. It's high time to wake up and watch and pray to watch the weak areas, to watch the strong areas, to be there for one another, not to bite and devour one another, not to slander and gossip one another, not to tear down a brother and to see this over here and to hear this over there and spread this over here. That's not from the Lord. It's time to wake up, church, to the power of the resurrected Christ that lives in you. The whole world awaits the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I are the vessels. Wake up. Wake up. Number three, Peter was impulsive instead of waiting on the Lord. Now, I could have gone both ways with this. He was impulsive instead of waiting, or it could have been he's impulsive instead of listening. Either way. And I'll tell you why. In the garden, part of the flesh of Peter was to be quick and impulsive. And we see it in the garden. 
Now, when I mention the word flesh, that's a Bible word. It doesn't just, it doesn't refer to, not always refer to the flesh of skin and bones. Uh, Sometimes it does, but there's a spiritual meaning to the word flesh. And, And if you're wondering what it means, here's a great way to remember it. When the flesh is used in a spiritual way, it refers to your old sinful habit patterns. Your old sinful habit patterns. While God changed you from the inside out and you're born again, you bring a lot of baggage with you into your walk with Jesus Christ. Some of us brought way more baggage than others. And that's our flesh. How we would respond instinctively rather than how we would respond spiritually. And when you spend your whole life responding instinctively, you pick up some bad habits along the way that don't please the Lord. One of the ones that Peter had was he was impulsive. Now, it's not always bad to be impulsive. It's better than procrastination and putting things off. But there are those times that if we're impulsive to a fault in our flesh, we're going to make mistakes. And of course, what did Peter do? Peter, in the middle of the garden, wanting to prove himself to Jesus, he pulls out his sword and he goes after the high priest's servant's neck and misses the neck, cuts the ear. It's messy. It's a bloody mess. And what does Jesus do? He stops everything, heals the guy, fixes the disciples' mess and says, put your sword away. That's not how we fight. I'm not going to fight this. I'm not resisting. This is the Father's will. You see, Peter should have never drawn his sword. And backsliding can sometimes start by impulsively reacting out of emotion, out of pain, and out of a zeal without knowledge, which we studied in depth last time. And I think Peter's really dealing with some stuff emotionally here that's put him in a major spiritual battle. I mean, if you had your best friend Jesus, the savior of the world, look at you and say, you are gonna deny me. You're a denier, Peter. And you see his response was, no way, I'll never deny you. Everyone will deny you. I'll never. I think he's carrying that in. This is all happening pretty rapid fire. We're re- looking at it over a few weeks, but this is happening all rapid fire in this brother's heart. It's all happening right before him with all the emotion. The cross is up ahead. Going to lose his savior. The prey. Oh, I fell asleep. I can't believe what he said to me. I, I think he had hurt feelings. I, I think that he's dealing with the reality of his own weakness. I think he's looking at, man, why did I cut that guy's ear off? What am I thinking? And just, man, he is in the thick of a battle. And because of his impulsiveness, he's doing something that Jesus never asked from him and never commanded him. And here's the thing. Jesus is within an arm reach, I believe, of Peter. Like, he's super close, physically. And here is Peter, so close to Jesus physically, and yet so far spiritually. He's right there. And the closest thing that I can think of, as that relates to us, is where you are right now. Now, of course, those listening in from a distance or listening on on the radio aren't in physically a church right now, but you are. You're sitting in a church. What better place to be physically to worship God than to gather in a church fellowship with other believers to sing together, study the Bible together? I mean, you're in church on a Sunday morning. How close can you possibly be physically to, to express your love and devotion to Jesus Christ? And yet... Some of you are here physically, but you're not here spiritually. You're here physically, but you're not here spiritually. Why? Because you're in church and you're backsliding. You're not making forward progress. And I have to say, I'm glad you're in church. It's better than being somewhere else. But don't think for a moment, just being in a building 
with a bunch of people worshiping God means you're not backsliding. <laughs> and the enemy would love to sift us like wheat. And he often sifts like wheat even in a church building. Walking away from God's commandments is going to cost you. Listen in Psalm 119 verse 30. I've chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I've laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments and you shall enlarge my heart. Peter was impulsive instead of waiting on the Lord. Number four. Number four, Peter ran away instead of pressing in. Peter ran away instead of pressing in. Mark gives us insight of this whole scene when they came to arrest him in Mark 14, verse 48. Then Jesus answered and said to them, have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching as you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then verse 50 says, then they all forsook him and fled. Now the word all here literally means all, which would include a man by the name of Stick with me. His name is Peter. We've been studying Peter. Not just anybody's name. If all fled, that meant Peter fled. Right in that scene in the garden when they came to arrest him. After the sword. After the episode. After the healing. Peter took off like the rest. Not very far, but he took off. The backslider is often found running away from God. People that run away from God are in a condition of backsliding. Not just in huge ways, but more often in a bunch of small ways. A bunch of small decisions. A bunch of small compromises that when added up, backward is their direction. In the Christian life, the challenges of obedience become greater, not lesser. The call is upward to higher ground, not lower ground. And when you find yourself no longer desiring the higher calls, the deeper challenges, the stronger walk, watch out. It's so critical that we make progress forward in the Lord. Like James said in James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Peter ran away. He fled just like everyone else. But it's so much greater for Peter because all this is happening to Peter. Number five. Peter followed Jesus at a distance instead of being close. They fled, but they slowly came back to watch and follow Jesus into the high priest's house. In Luke 22, verse 54, it says, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Even though he ran away, Peter follows at a distance. And there are a lot of people like this following at a distance. Sometimes we describe them with the illustration of one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Where they, they, have, a, they have an appearance of righteousness. They're, they're in the church you know, for an hour, an hour and a half. They might even do one thing or another in the church. But they live most of their life in the world, for the world, with the world. And it's where that cultural part of our uh, uh, the emphasis of this cultural part of Christianity, man, so many believers, they, they look like the world, they sound like the world, you wouldn't even know they're saved. You wouldn't even know they have a love relationship with God, which is always cause for concern. It may not be backsliding for some. It may be you've never been born again to begin with. Either way, you can come to the Lord. You have one foot in the church and one in the world. 
Like, like the prophet once said, how long will you waver between two decisions? Choose God, as Joshua would say. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. That's just the way it is. Everything gets filtered through that statement. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. That, that's not backsliding. That's commitment. And finally, number six. If you want to go through again, number one, Peter was self-confident. Number two, he was sleeping instead of watching. Number three, he was impulsive instead of waiting. Four, he ran away instead of pressing in. Five, he followed at a distance instead of staying close. And number six, Peter warmed himself at the enemy's fires. Peter is found warming himself at the fires of the enemy. Luke 22 verse 55 says, Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Mark chapter 14, verse 54. But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Mark this truth. If you're in the wrong place, most likely you will do the wrong thing at the wrong time with the wrong people. If you're in the wrong place, there is a good chance you will be surrounded by wrong people. And being surrounded by wrong people will, will place you in a, in a position where you are getting wrong counsel and wrong... Everything is wrong when you sit at the enemy's fires. Everything is wrong. And even the little good that might come out of it is wrong. Be careful. Peter's already down. He's already weak. He's already beat up. He's already vulnerable. All this is happening rapid fire in his poor little heart. And I mean that in deep sincerity. His poor little heart is in turmoil. And in no way whatsoever am I demeaning the reality of how your heart might be today. Your poor little heart or mine. It could be triggered by all sorts of things that would take one little step away from God. It could be that phone call from an old friend. It could be a memory. It could be grief. It could be anger. It could be frustration. It could be marital issues. It could be your singleness. I mean, it it could be anything to put yourself at the wrong place. And I'm telling you, mark it. Listen to me, young, old, everyone in between. If you warm yourself at the enemy's fire, you will be at the wrong place, surrounded by the wrong people, at always the wrong time, and you will do the wrong thing. In that situation. Can you imagine the kind of conversations they were having there? It's not just the enemy's fire. Can you imagine the mockery that was happening at that fire pit? Can you imagine the name calling? Oh, look at him. What a liar. What a cheat. What an idiot. What an insurrectionist. We hate him. Kill him. Crucify him. And, and that's not a place when you're discouraged and beat up to be around people that hate God. And are demeaning him. And you think of all the things that you can do. Yeah, you know, they're my buddies and my friends. It's okay to have, and as we should, men and women in our lives where we can share the gospel with and, and even share life with our neighbors, our coworkers, as long as we're not in the wrong place with the wrong people. Because here's the thing. We need to give a lot of thought to who we spend the bulk of our time with. 
We think we're influencing them, but the real question is, is are they influencing us away from Christ? The Holy Spirit through Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And then the very next thing he says is, awake, wake up to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. The NIV says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And how careful we need to be of who we spend the bulk of our time with. Because evil company will corrupt good habits. And you will find yourself, maybe it starts with the wrong people. Then you get to the wrong place. And temptations come in that condition. And you're weakened. And you're going through it. And there you are warming yourself at the enemy's fire. The enemy's fire that you forsook so long ago. And you're there. And you're talking. And then they ask ask you, well, don't you know them? And what do you say? I don't know him. Not once, not twice, but Peter denies the Lord three times at the enemy's fire. Mark my words. Mark the words of scripture. Be careful. Matthew tells us that the third time of denial was actually combined with cursing and swearing. I don't think of that like Peter's dropping the F-bomb or anything like that, like cussing. There's a, technical, there, there's a technicality about this cursing and swearing. The word is used as a strong expression involving the pronouncing of death on self at the hand of God if he was lying. So what Peter was doing in this last denial, can you imagine how far he is? He's taking the Lord's name in vain. This was just moments ago he had a sword in his hand. It was just moments ago that he said, I'll never. Just moments ago. How fast it can happen. So you kind of mess around with sin and you're like, oh, I'm getting away with it. You don't understand, Pastor. I got, I got this thing of one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I got it. But you don't know how fast it's going to take you down. Oh, well, you're still arguing. Oh, no, it's all right, man. I've been doing it for years. You don't know how fast it's going to take you down. And you've wasted two years of your life for what? You don't want to waste any years. You want to invest them in the things of the kingdom of God. He's worth it. He shed his blood for you. Backsliding can happen to any of us. Small ways, large ways. There are people noticeably absent from our congregation where I have personal knowledge of their backsliding ways and it breaks my heart. It's so unnecessary. It's so unneeded. The drama of this is, it should be enough to warn us. It's not God's heart for us to backslide. He doesn't want us being so self-confident. He doesn't want us sleeping while we should be watching. He doesn't want us to act impulsively, emotionally, out of pain. He doesn't want us running away when we should be running toward him. He doesn't want us following at a distance, but following as close as we possibly can. He doesn't want us warming ourselves at the fire of the enemy He doesn't want us right up on the edge. How close can I get to sin without it destroying me? The only way you're going to find that out is when it destroys you. And sometimes the destruction is irrecoverable. God is gracious and God is good. But sometimes those decisions come with consequences that last the rest of your life. And it's so unneeded in our lives. Here's my question before we end in a time of waiting on the Lord. Are you the prodigal today? Are you the backslidden one now, I know if I would have asked that question at the beginning of the message, you would have been said, no way, I'm not. Look, I'm in church. What are you talking about? Well, that message should be people that, for people that aren't here. But now, 
as we learned a little bit more about what it means to backslide, and we've learned that it not only means just to go into sin, but it means to start letting go and going backwards. It means to fail to progress. We realize that some of us actually might be in the process of backsliding right now. We actually might be that prodigal in the early stages, the wanderer, the backslider. And so let's say you're falling back again. You don't want to get good at backsliding. You don't want to get good and comfortable with your backsliding ways. Rededication, backsliding, rededication. You don't want that in your life. Let's say you've slipped a bit. And let's say you have lost some ground. How do you get back with God? Well, I'm going to give you three words if you want to jot them down. Three words that will help you come back to God. But I'm going to read them to you. So let's go and close in Revelation chapter 2 because... Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I don't just want to give you the words. I want to give you the words in context. To the church in Ephesus, people fall away like Peter. Churches can fall away. Yeah, still be a church and still do good things, but lose their love and lose their passion and find themselves involved in things they shouldn't be involved in. Notice, that's what happened to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things. This is at Revelation chapter 2. Verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. You've persevered. You have patience. You've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. And if we got a letter like that from Jesus, we're like, yeah, somebody noticed. Man, we're serving God and we're giving ourselves. We're tired. We're persevering. We're enduring. But Jesus says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. And then he gives three ways to come back. Number one is the word remember. Verse five, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Remember. Secondly, he says repent. Repent. That's the most important part. Repent. You've sinned against a holy and a righteous God. Repent. And then finally, Do the first works. And for the sake of using ours to remember, I'll give you an R word. Remember from where you have fallen, repent and repeat. Go back and do the first works. Go back and, man, start serving the Lord again in a heart of love. Forsake your your sinful ways. Forsake your backslidden ways and come home to the Lord. Remember from where you have fallen, repent and and repeat those first works. So God, we know that there is a heaviness in the room when we come to a Bible study like this. We know that there are people listening on the radio right now that are torn between two. We know that we have children, we have grandchildren, we have family and friends that aren't walking as strong with the Lord as with you as they used to. And our hearts are broken, Lord. Watching Peter go through such turmoil breaks my heart, God. And you know, my, you know that I've backslid in various ways in my life with you, Lord. I'm so grateful it hasn't been anything huge, but you know there have been times in my heart that I was angry instead of praying. You know there are times in my heart when you were asking me to press in and I was following at a distance. You know, Lord, that even though I might stay away from the wrong places in my, with my body, I may go to wrong places in my mind. And, and I pray that you'd forgive me, Lord. That none of us want to be away from you. None of us want to be so distant from you. None of us, I mean, the, the, our hearts cry is to know you. 
to know the power of your resurrection, to know the power of your life lived through us. So forgive us, God, and make us the men and women you want us to be. No looking back, putting our hand to the plow. And as we sing these songs, God, inhabit the praises of your people. Comfort us. Bring us back. And as you're praying, just keep praying, keep waiting. You can, Pastor Ian's going to take the service from here, and he's going to lead us in songs that he prayed about. They work so well together. God did such a work with the services. And, you know, you might think we sit around planning these services, and we don't. We talk about them, and we pray. And it's so beautiful to find out how God's going to use it. What is he going to do? And you can pray during this time. You can cry during this time. A brother emailed me last night said the time of reflection was so hard on him that he was weeping uncontrollably. And he said, I bet you people thought I was so far backslidden I needed to come home. But actually God was doing another work in his heart. Had nothing to do. He's not backslidden. I know him. He's walking with the Lord. But it's hard. It's a hard time in his life. Maybe that's you. So sing and stand or sing and kneel or come up to the altar, the stage. Just let it represent an altar before the Lord and kneel before him. But more than anything, please, your relationship is with Jesus Christ. It's not with your pastor and it's not with a church and it's not with a movement. Jesus saved you. So lay your life down before him and open up. May your new channel be opened up. No more backwards. No more stagnation. Let's go for it. Let's move forward. Let's serve the Lord with joy and gladness. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.